We've come here tonight to grow nearer to God, nearer to each other, and we appreciate the good songs that we can sing to remind us of those truths. You open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 7, where we're going to read from in just a moment. We're going to spend some time in Matthew chapter 7 and then venture out to some other places in Scripture. As tonight, we talk about a subject that I think is very important, and I suppose that that's redundant to say or else I wouldn't preach on it. But the fact of the matter is, is when it comes to judging, when it comes to the danger of judging, we need to know what that danger is really about what it involves, and how we should react to a subject that the world has much to say about. As you're opening to Matthew chapter 7, we welcome those who are watching online and those who are in the parking lot as well as those in the building. This is a very good congregation, and even though we may be a little bit smaller in number tonight, at least here in the building, I thought I would just point out, I was thinking about Romans chapter 10, Romans chapter 12 and verse 10, where it talks about in honor giving preference to one another. And the English Standard Version says outdo one another in giving that honor or outdo one another in love. I'll have you know that I don't know if there's a competition going on as to who's trying to make my pants get tighter, who's trying to feed me more, who's trying to take care of me and Wendy better, but you all are competing quite well. Because you guys have just been fantastic to us in the past few days. I'm not kidding you. Last night we had two different families in my parking lot duking it out over who's going to feed us. Well, Wendy says don't use your sense of humor because you don't have much of a sense of humor. So I used it anyway. So when she sees this, she'll be upset over me saying that. But we just are so thankful for so many people who are taking care of us and for all of your concern. And that's what this congregation one another in doing good to others and we just appreciate it so much and I know that others who are facing illnesses those who are in hospitals those who have procedures coming up that they appreciate that so very much as well thank you for being here tonight I want to start with a question what does it mean to cast judgment I remember a number of years ago NBC the national broadcasting company ran a series of ads where before some of its major hit shows they would make statements like, uh, be careful about looking at someone else, and then they would look on the screen and then they would say, don't judge. And Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, which says, judge not lest you also be judged, at least in the New King James Version, is a verse that people in the world who are void of any religious or biblical knowledge, they know Matthew chapter 7, verse 1. People know the phrase, don't judge. Now, they don't read the remaining four or five verses, nor do they read the other passages that we're going to talk about tonight. And that's often the case with people who study the Bible uh, in a very lax way. They'll only use it for their own purposes, for their own gain, for their own good. But I want us to talk tonight about what is judging. And by definition, or one definition, to judge is to assume the office of being an arbitrator or to be one who forms an opinion. So think about that for a moment. We are forming an opinion about something or someone. A judge who is in service, whether that be on a federal court or a local court or someone else in the world who serves as a governmental judge, has the office and forms his or her opinions. 
In fact, we know that Jesus is the chief judge, as outlined in passages like Matthew chapter 25, where the Bible tells us that one day we'll stand before God on the day of judgment. Paul writes about that to the church in 2 Corinthians, uh, late in that book, and he says that we must all stand before the day of judgment, stand before God, stand before Christ, stand before our judge, and those opinions will be based on facts. You know, there are certain judgments that are cast by physical judges, by literal judges in our country, even in a system that we celebrate, where sometimes they're based on wrong facts. <laughs> Doesn't make sense, does it? Wrong facts? But it's based on facts that are misunderstood. It's based on opinions that are misunderstood or things that are misrepresented. And the fact of the matter is, is we understand that that's justice when it is miscarried. There's no such thing as a miscarriage of justice with God because he is the most righteous and truest judge of all. I want us to acknowledge that judging, as the world has us to understand judging, is indeed a dangerous thing for a number of reasons. Let me suggest three reasons, and this is not the heart of our study tonight, if you thought that this was the heart of our study, but this is just the introduction to our study. But let me suggest three reasons why it is that judging can be such a dangerous thing. Number one, Judging can be dangerous when it violates the principles of self-reflection first. When it violates the principles of self-reflection first. Go back to Matthew chapter 7. Let's read the entire text here. Judge not that you be not judged. For with what judgment you judge, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye... But you do not consider the plank in your own eye. Or how can you say to your brother, let me remove the speck from your eye and look, a plank is in your own eye. And then he uses a very strong word in verse 5 and he says, hypocrite, first remove the plank from your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Go on one verse because we're going to come back and talk about verse 6 briefly in just a moment. Do not give what is holy to the dogs, nor cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. And so this is not a sermon necessarily about Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 5 or 1 through 6, but you cannot understand why judgment is so dangerous unless you understand the principles outlined by Jesus in where he's talking to a group of individuals who, as we'll reference in the closing moments of our study, who have been highly influenced by the scribes and Pharisees, Matthew chapter 7, verses 28 and 29, and they have been taught that they are less than those who are the self-righteous Jewish leaders of the first century. And therefore, they are the ones who are being judged. And Jesus comes along and he says, be careful about casting judgment on others without reflecting on yourself first and foremost. Secondly, judging can be dangerous when it's not a matter of right nor wrong, but we choose to make it seem that way. We've had a couple of different studies over the last six months in Romans chapter 14. I preached a sermon or two in Romans chapter 14 where we talked about issues, whether it be eating meat that was sacrificed to idols, or it is celebrating a particular day that was important to people of a Jewish descent. 
uh, versus people who don't believe in that particular holiday. And Paul comes along as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he simply says there are certain things that do not matter to God because they are not matters of right and wrong and need to allow people to choose those things. And you, as one who doesn't believe exactly as the neighbor, you need to be careful about casting judgment on that person and also careful about putting a stumbling block in front of that person. And let me suggest, thirdly, something that we may not always think about, but judging is wrong or dangerous when it violates the principles of fairness and impartiality. James talks about that in James chapter 2, and he says, If you show partiality, you commit sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. So these are all occasions where judging can be dangerous. And you know what? Up until this point, virtually everyone in the world, in the carnal world, that is anti-religious, anti-God, anti-Bible, is they're going to agree and say a hearty amen. I'm not sure if people in the world say amen to these things. But the fact is, is they would agree. Here's where we diverge. Because judging can be dangerous, but I want to submit in the remainder of our study tonight that not judging can be dangerous. So judgment... When it violates the principles of self-reflection or it's a matter of indifference to God or when it violates principles of fairness and impartiality can be a dangerous thing. But I would submit that following Jesus Christ means we believe there is a right and a wrong. And the moment that we say this is right or that is wrong, it tells me that there's a difference between the two and we have to recognize those two things. In 1 Timothy chapter 5 and verse 20, I didn't put this on the screen, but it says, Those who are sinning rebuke in the presence of all that the rest also may fear. How in the world are we to rebuke those who are in sin if we don't recognize that there's a difference between right and wrong? So I think 1 Timothy chapter 5 verse 20, you have to read in conjunction with Matthew chapter 7 verses 1 through 6. Let me suggest furthermore that we as saints or servants of God are always taught to recognize sin, never approve of it, and never to ignore it, but rather to confront it and say, that's not right. There are times when we have to go to a brother or a sister in Christ and have that kind of uncomfortable conversation and say, you know what, the direction you're going the way you're leaning, the people with whom you're hanging out, these are not good choices, and they're going to lead you down a path of sin. That's what should have happened in 1 Corinthians chapter 5. They should have said, you know what, you're wrong for having your father's wife. You, you don't have a right to that relationship. And as a, as a result of that, they should have stood up. But rather, what did they do? They were puffed up with pride, and they said, look at us, how accepting we are. And here's a word that we hear a lot of times when it comes to judgment today. It's the T word. We are all men and women of tolerance. We're going to tolerate anybody, any lifestyle, any way, any choice. It doesn't matter what you do. We're all going to love you. Well, the fact is, is we do love all people, but we do not love the actions of individuals when they are in violation to the principles of God himself. And so 1 Corinthians chapter 5 teaches us that. Let me go as far as to say something that would be very controversial 
in the world, but probably won't be controversial among believers. And that is to form an opinion or to cast judgment is a part of being a follower of the judge. Because we are following the judge, we have to make sure that we agree with his judgments. It can't be that we go to God and say, God, I want to serve you, but I'm not on board with 100% of what you've said. That's not the way that it works. We've got to completely fulfill his will and to align ourselves with his wishes. We read in, first, in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 recently that we are ambassadors for Christ. And that means that we cannot be individuals who go rogue and go separate from what our God wants us to be. We must, according to Romans chapter 16, we'll read there in just a moment, we must judge divisions and offenses. Romans chapter 16 and verse 17 says, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses. What is that saying there? It's saying judge those individuals. It's saying you're wrong. We would want someone, I think we would hope and agree, telling us we're wrong as opposed to trying to spare our feelings so that we would then spend an eternity void of God and void of the angels and void of his son. But he says, I urge you, brethren, I'm, I'm commanding you, brethren, note those who cause divisions and offenses contrary to the doctrine which you learned and avoid them. For those who are such do not serve our Lord Jesus Christ, but their own belly and by smooth words and flattering speech deceive the hearts of the simple. Let me suggest furthermore that to avoid sin, which we recognize as sin and as something that is contrary to God's law, we have to recognize it for what it is and call it for what it is. Isn't that where the beginning of the Sermon on the Mount that we started with tonight, where it began? Back in Matthew chapter 5 where it says, blessed are those who mourn. What are they mourning over? Well, there may be a number of ways to answer that question, but at the heart of Matthew chapter 5, verses 3 and 4, is seeing sin like God sees sin, and seeing the world in the way that God sees sin. And so Paul would write to the church at Ephesus, and he would make a list, as he does on many occasions. And he says, be imitators of God as dear children. Walk in love as Christ also has loved us and given himself for us, an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling aroma. And then he starts making a list, beginning in verse 3, of things that we are to say are wrong, which means we cast judgment. Fornication, being unclean, coveting, let not even these things be named among you as is fitting for the saints. Filthiness, foolish talking, coarse jesting, which are not fitting, but rather giving of thanks. For this you know, that no fornicator, unclean person, or covetous man who is an idolater has any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Therefore, what? Do not be partakers with them. That means I've got to look at individuals and say, you know what? What you're involved in is something I can't be a partaker with or a partaker of. And someone would say, well, who are you to judge me? Well, I'm not the one casting the judgment. It's Jesus the Christ and it's God the Holy Spirit who is rendering these words that tell us certain things that are right and certain things that are wrong. And we have to be able and willing and brave and bold enough to say, you know what, that's just not right. I'm just not putting up with that and I'm not going to involve myself with it.
And that brings me to the passage that I had our brother read from tonight, which we will not reread, but these are verses that are easily memorizable. Uh, the idea of these are verses that every preacher, young and old, needs to appreciate. And every member of the Lord's church needs to be familiar with the idea of preaching the word, being ready in season and out of season. And then he uses three verbs, depending on the version you're reading from, convince, blank, and exhort. What's the second word? At least in the New King James Version, it starts with an R, and it is the same word used in 1 Timothy chapter 5, verse 20 that we just read, and that is rebuke. It is my job, it is your job, it is our collective job to rebuke. In fact, in Matthew chapter 18, where we see men and women who go through the process of trying to teach someone about their wrong, it eventually winds itself around to the church. If the person won't listen to the one individual who goes and talks with him or her, then eventually it goes to the church, where we all collectively say, you know what, yeah, that is wrong. You are involved in sin, and that does need to change. Not judging can be dangerous. Even Jesus' concerns about unrighteous judgment actually contain a command to judge. And that's one of the reasons why I had us read all the way through verse 6, not through just verse 5. Because verse 6 of Matthew chapter 7 says, Do not give what is unholy to the dogs, or cast your pearls before swine, lest they trample them under their feet and turn and tear you in pieces. It is very clear here that dogs or swine are the idea of that which is wrong or unholy or evil or unclean. And he says, you've got to recognize them as such. Well, here's the question. How in the world do I recognize something as being unclean unless I know it's unclean? How do I know something is unholy unless I call it unholy? say, well, who are you to call it unholy or unclean or unwhatever? Well, I'm the one that says what the Bible says, and as we sometimes say, we speak as the oracles of God, and we speak where God speaks. So Jesus' concern over judgment actually commands us to cast judgment. So in verse 1, judge not lest ye be not judged. Verse 6, judge those who are swine or those who are dogs. Beware of them. We must always make sure, however, that the judgment with which we are judged is a righteous judgment. John chapter 5 verse 30 tells us that we, again, cannot go rogue and just start saying, you're wrong, you're wrong, and you're wrong, just so that we make ourselves feel better. But rather that we offer righteous judgment out of a loving and tender heart for the soul that we are trying to help. He says, I can of myself do nothing. As I hear, Jesus says, I judge. And my judgment is righteous because I do not seek my own will, but the will of my Father who sent me. Just a page over in your Bibles, perhaps, in verse 24 of the seventh chapter. Do not judge according to appearance. That goes back to the, the premise of James chapter 2. But rather judge with righteous judgment. And so not judging can be dangerous. And that's the thrust of the argument that I'm trying to make tonight. But I want to go back and talk about the danger by just making two very quick observations before we wrap up with some final observations. 
And that is number one, there's danger when we judge in ways that violate God's laws and the principles he's set forth. We need to remember that there's danger when we judge in ways that violate God's laws and the principles that he's set forth. So we have to do the things that God has asked us to do in the ways that God has asked us to do them. And then secondly, the major point of what I'm trying to make tonight is that there's danger when we don't judge according to his laws and principles. Someone would once ask it this way, or once asked it this way, would you rather have everyone be nice to you, quote, nice to you, for your 80, 90, 100 years on the earth, and then you spend an eternity in hell, or would you rather someone, quote, hurt your feelings in this life of 80, 90, 100 years, and then you get to spend eternity in heaven? Well, I'd much rather have my feelings hurt in this life and someone call me out for doing wrong so that I can make correction and spend my eternity with my creator in heaven. That brings me then to these final four observations. Number one, we need to note that the Bible is replete with passages wherein judgment is not only something that is okay, but it is commanded and necessary. Well, that's a sermon in and of itself. But let me just share with you three passages. One that I kind of highlighted already is Matthew chapter 18, verses 15 through 17. I just want to breeze through those verses very quickly so that you see exactly what's happening. If your brother sins, well, who are, who are you to say if your brother sins? Well, we are the ones who have been given the rules as to what is right and wrong. So if your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault. So there's, there's a charged word as well. Sins, that's a, that's a charged word. Fault is a charged word between you and him alone. If he hears you, you've gained your brother. But if you're not here, take with you two more, one or two more, that by the mouth of two or three witnesses, every word may be established. And if he refuses to hear them, tell it to the church. If he refuses even to hear the church, let him be to you like a heathen and a taxator. What's going on in Matthew chapter 18, verses 15, 16, 17? In one word, there's judgment being cast. There's right and wrong being looked at and being seen in a very definitive way. Furthermore, in Romans chapter 15, verse 1, I thought about this passage, so I thought I would bring this up, where it says, We then who are strong ought to bear with the scruples of the weak. Well, that means someone is stronger and someone is weaker. Now, we need to be careful about saying, Look, me strong, you weak. We need to be careful about that. But at the same time, there are times where we are stronger in our faith and we're trying to help those who are weaker. And who may not know the truth as well as someone else. And we have the responsibility of helping them. And then I'm reminded of the last two verses in James chapter 5, where James says that if you rescue someone who has wandered from the truth and turn that person back, let him know that he who turns the sinner, there's a charged word, from the error of his ways will save his soul from death and cover a multitude of sins. All three of those verses are talking about what we do as Christians on a routine basis when we are trying to help those of our brethren who are either in sin or those who are not our brethren to get closer to God so that they can become Christians 
and remove that sin in their lives. Remember, secondly, and this is something that maybe we could have started with. I hinted at it, but I want to come to a close with this. Remember that the focus of the Sermon on the Mount is, by and large, the Pharisees' teaching. In chapter 7, verse 28 and 29, he says, He spoke as one having authority, such that they were all astonished, and not teaching like one of the scribes or Pharisees. Someone once pointed out that Matthew chapter 5 and verse 20 is in many ways a thesis statement for the Sermon on the Mount. And I like that because it says, I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. And so it's all about attaining that righteousness that exceeds the scribes and the Pharisees. Now that would have been something that would have likely surprised the earliest followers of Jesus who were the initial recipients of this message or this sermon. How am I to exceed that of the Pharisees? Well, they are just so good. They are just so righteous. They are just so great in service to the Lord. He says you have to exceed their righteousness because it turns out that their righteousness is wrong. Like we talked about last evening in our study of James chapter 1 and the young people study, he who is going to be exalted needs to first humble himself in order for that exaltation to transpire. Thirdly, what should always be forbidden is judgmentalism. Judgment can be a dangerous thing if we don't use it right. Judgmentalism, one person pointed out, that's where the real sin lies. And I want to take you finally to Romans chapter 2 in verse 1. Because I thought these two verses were certainly appropriate. You remember what Romans chapter 1 does? It's another place where Paul makes a list. Uh, and he makes a list of some ugly things. Of people who were sexually immoral or wicked. People who were evil-minded. People who were backbiters. Disobedient to their parents unforgiving and unmerciful and the list goes on and on and on and then in chapter 2 verse 1 as good bible students you know that when the word therefore is there it's therefore a reason and therefore you are inexcusable O man whoever you are who judge for whatever you judge another you condemn yourself for you who judge practice the same things we know that the judgment of god is according to truth against those who practice such things as listed in the previous 10 to 12 verses. So a judgmentalism kind of person or a judgmental person, you understand by what I mean, is someone who is, back in Matthew chapter 7, got a two-by-four sticking out of their head going and trying to find that speck of dust in your eye. And that silly story that Jesus told is there to get us to understand the ridiculous nature of what it means to be a hypocrite. It does not mean that we are not to be individuals who say this is right and this is wrong. Because the Bible, again, is complete with the counsel on the importance of that. And the last thing is go back and read Luke's account of the Sermon on the Mount. And in Luke chapter 6 and verse 38, Luke records for us something that is a little bit different than Matthew's account. When he says in verse 38, 
He says, give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, and running over will be put into your bosom. For with the same measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. It's the same principle that is being taught in Matthew chapter 7, just worded a little bit differently in Luke chapter 6. But the way that we treat others is the way that we would want to be treated, hopefully. It goes back to the golden rule that we do unto others as we would have done unto us. And the concept of that is very clear when it comes to judgmentalism. We don't want someone being judgmentalism when it comes to us. We want them to judge us with righteous judgment. We would all want, and I think I speak for all of us as Christians, as much as we do not like being told, you know what, you need to be careful, we would want someone to tell us we're wrong in this life so that we can be prepared for the next life. But we don't want someone to have a magnifying glass looking at your life trying to find all the wrong that you are involved in. That is certainly the hypocritical nature of Matthew chapter 7 that Jesus forbids. We need to be men and women who cast righteous judgment and understand that there's a danger of judging if we are judgmental and that there's a danger of not judging if we're not the, the uh, men and women who see things the way God sees things. And so if you're here and you are not a Christian, it's not a matter of us judging you and saying, look how horrible you are. It's a matter of us pleading with you saying you are not saved. Your life is not right in the presence of God. And we want you to make your life right because of the serious consequences of sin, but also because of the significant reward that comes from being faithful to our God. If you are a Christian and you are not living correctly, we are here tonight to help you. And if that means judging you by saying, you know what, that wasn't right, but you're repenting of that, we are ready to forgive you, and our God is prepared to forgive you as well, as is outlined in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. If we can help you in any way in service to God, let us know while together we stand and while we sing.